What's up, guys? I'm your host, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me today as we continue our journey deeper into the Shadowlands. for 38 years. Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. A windstorm came and their boat began to fill with water and sink. They awoke Jesus shouting, Master, Master, we're perishing. Now John the Baptist was put in prison. He sent two friends to Jesus asking, are you really the coming one? Or are we looking for another? Yet in all these things there is purpose. What the enemy meant for evil, God intended for good that the proof of our faith being more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. When Jesus saw him lying there, he said, do you want to be healed? This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. He arose and rebuked the wind and raging water and they ceased. And Jesus asked them, where is your faith? Life is merely a world of shadows, a broken replica of the true home in which our hearts long to be. If you look close enough, you'll catch glimpses of it all around you, in the beauty and in the joy. And this, this is our hope. So we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ. We place our hope in His promise that He is with us even now, strengthening us, teaching us, loving us through the storm. So go, little Christian, and sin no more. You've been given a higher calling. Rise up and follow him. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What profit is it if a man gains the world but loses his soul? This life here is but a vapor of mere shadows. The true life and true hope lie in the next. So hang on, fellow soldier, and let's press in together. Where are we aiming? Heaven. Where must we walk first? The Shadowlands. What's up, guys? Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited. I've been throwing around a ton of ideas, but I have some really good content that I'm working on that wasn't quite ready. So I figured, you know what, this is a sweet little spot of uh, one that I've had ready for a while. So today is going to be all about the purpose of storms. So the kind of whole idea of this podcast, we're going to cover a ton of different information, um, but at the root of it all is that we have hope through it all no matter what we face. And so this, this episode kind of, um, you know, shows you a little bit about what the purpose behind storms are in our lives. So um, kind of encompassing one of those main things, and I'm really excited to dive in here. So this actually was, um, I actually wrote this based on a sermon that I heard recently, actually. I was um, visiting another church, and um, it's funny because I feel like so many times I'll go to church and like the pastor will announce the name of the sermon or whatever. Like, okay, today's sermon is going to be on blah, blah, blah. And like so many times I just laugh like, all right, God, you just, you know, you're too much. <laughs> and, um, right when the, right when the pastor announced this teaching, I just laughed to myself 
<laughs> probably made everyone that goes crazy um but I feel like God is so cheeky like sometimes you just you just gotta laugh um and the sermon was called the purpose of storms and I just thought this was so good and I really wanted to share it with you um so really I'm kind of going to just share with you like a lot of my notes really from it and kind of how I've how I how I've learned about these before and then kind of just like some of the new things I learned from this teaching also um the sweet thing is like the longer you study the the bible and the longer amount of time you're walking with god you like you begin just to learn so much um and at the same time you gain this feeling like you still have like even more to learn like the more you know the more you don't know <laughs> it's it's funny so today we're going to be talking about two kinds of storms that happen in our lives um and we're going to be talking about the story in matthew 14 22 to 23 uh, to 33. I keep saying 23. I don't know why. Uh, Matthew chapter 14 verses 22 to 33. Uh, and the pastor really just shared that there are two kinds of storms in our lives. Storms of correction and storms of protection. So if you're a note taker and you have a notebook right now, I highly recommend taking notes because it's going to be good some, some good stuff. So firstly, let's talk about storms. No one likes to get caught in a storm, right? Okay, well, Maybe there's like some of us <laughs> who admire lightning and the rain and just like the power that storms exemplify, but like, okay, you know, well, yeah, maybe, maybe there's some of us that are even crazy enough to go chase storms, right? We know those people. Maybe you're one of them. <laughs> I'm not. But would anyone really want to be caught like in a small fishing boat in the middle of the ocean? in the middle of a huge, intense, life-threatening storm? No. Let's save that one for the movies. <laughs> but what about like the storms or the trials in life? Hard times where things unexpected block our paths and uproot our plans and shove us in dark areas in which we had no wish to go and would do anything to get out of. Yeah. I don't see as many hands. <laughs> What's that? Oh, no, I don't see any hands at all. No, because no one likes to find themselves caught in, in a life of turmoil and confusion and devastation. So let's talk about storms of correction. These are storms or trials and difficulties in our lives that God uses to correct a fault in us. The Bible clearly in the Old and New Testament shows us that this is absolutely never, never, never out of this like spiteful anger or hatred or malice or something like that. God is never like, um, yo, Sarah, like, I, can't, I just absolutely can't believe you disobeyed me, screaming and red faced and teeth grinding. No, 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 no. He, that is so not what the Bible shows us of God. If this is your image of God, I'm. I'm very sorry because I don't know your story and I don't know what you've been through that's portrayed him this way for you, but that's absolutely not Jehovah, Jesus, the God of the Bible. In these storms of correction, he does it in absolute and complete love. His correction might feel harsh though at the time, but he is our heavenly father. He knows what we need more than we do 
and he knows how to help us best. So as you might already know from experience, as do I, (laughs) hitting rock bottom is sometimes just like the only way that we can really learn our lesson and realize the error of our ways. Just like most parents um, most often uh, you know, know what is best for their kids and may try to correct them so that they can walk the straight, correct path. I know not everyone's had great parents, and if you have a bad image of God, that may be a key factor in why, but parents are those who should guide us and correct us when we are wrong out of love and in love so that we learn and don't make the same mistakes over and over again. That is what God is doing in a storm of correction. So here's like a biblical example to help you understand a bit more. How many of you know the story of Jonah and the whale? I bet a ton of hands just went up. (laughs) Where's the hand raising emoji when you need it in a podcast? That doesn't make sense, but you get my feel. Um, The story of Jonah and the great fish actually wasn't a whale, by the way. Go read that. Um, Although maybe it was. It just says great fish. The story of Jonah, though, he, he was one of God's prophets in the Old Testament. It's actually just in the book of Jonah, so not hard to find. Very small book, though. Um, highly recommend. Go give it a read. But he was a spokesperson of God to the people. So one day, God told Jonah that he had a message for him. And I'm sure this was, like, totally normal for Jonah as God had this call on his life. Side note, how incredibly humbling and awesome and challenging would it have been to have that job (laughs) let's be honest but God asked Jonah what seemed like a truly absolutely impossible request he asked Jonah to go and minister to preach repentance to him and his nation's worst enemies the Ninevites now please try to understand with me just who these people were Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, who captured the Israelites and treated them in horrific, unthinkable ways. They would kill pregnant women's children before their eyes. They would rape women and they would stick hooks through people's mouths and drag them along the journey as they were exiling, as they were taking them to their land. And many other horrific things. I'm not going to go further because I can't even stand the horror of just what that must have felt like to be persecuted like that. They were horrific. They were horrible people. And these were the people that God wanted to rescue through Jonah. He wanted these people to turn from their evil way of living and repent. Can you imagine just the flood of emotions that must have encompassed Jonah when hearing this. My gosh, fear for one thing. (laughs) And just absolute hatred for another. This would be like God telling you or me, the average American or other citizen of the world affected by terrorism, to go into an area and preach repentance to ISIS. That's no simple command. Or is it? Where God guides, God provides. In short, we all know what happened in the story. Jonah said, 
peace out, no way, Jose. <laughs> I mean, close enough, right? And he hopped on a boat heading in the opposite direction. A massive storm came and the sailors did all they could to stay afloat. They were throwing things overboard, trying to lose weight on the ship. And they eventually just came to the conclusion that God must have been angry with with one of them. And Jonah ended up admitting it. He confessed God was angry at him because he disobeyed him. And so he let them throw him overboard. Granted, maybe if he didn't, they probably would have thrown him anyway. But they, they tossed him overboard in the middle of a raging storm. In the middle of like a dark, open, vast ocean. That's scary alone. <laughs> that gives me like chills. That freaks me out. Okay? So they threw him overboard. God caused a great fish to swallow him, keep him in his stomach for three days, and then throw him right up on the shores of Nineveh. And during those three days in the fish's stomach, Jonah repented. And so God dropped him off <laughs> right where he needed to be. And you know what? Okay, first of all, it's not just like God, like... Here, I'm going to just keep you sitting in this stomach acid for a couple days, let you think about what you did. And then, you know, Jonah's like, all right, I was wrong. I'm sorry. All right, vomit you up on the on the shore. <laughs> These people were probably like, who the heck is this guy showing up with his decomposing seaweed and skeletons clinging for, to his to his cloak? Like, sorry, I'm just giving you this image here, guys. It's pretty disgusting. He must have reeked. Anyway. He, he's, you know, vomited up on the shore and immediately upon sharing God's message with the people, immediately upon sharing, guys, they recognized that their way was wrong and they turned to Jehovah immediately. See, God knew their hearts and he knew they were ready to hear it. God had it all planned out. He was ready to provide for the way he was trying to guide Jonah just needed to be obedient. He just needed to be obedient. There is always a price for our disobedience. And sometimes, when we're especially hard-headed, like a stubborn kid, God will need to correct us through some hard means. And these are what we call storms of correction. But secondly, there is storms of protection as well. Storms of protection are used to protect us from something that would harm us spiritually. Looking back at Matthew 14, 22 to 33, I'll just read it for you, but if you have a Bible with you, if you're not driving or something, definitely check it out too yourself. It says, Immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. So he was on land here. They had just shared with a bunch of people. And he said, you know what, guys? You get in a boat before me. You head over to the other side. They're on the Sea of Galilee here, which is like this massive lake. They call it a sea for a reason. I was actually just there a year ago. And it's stunning. <laughs> like my favorite place in Israel. Um, so he's on one side. And he's like, all right, guys, you head over. I'm going to take care of these crowds. You know, um, let them head off. You get into the boat. He like commands them. He says, get into the boat. Okay. So they get in and they start heading over, you know, not maybe not really knowing what his plans were. Is he going to just take another boat? Is he going to walk around? Um, who knows? So um, he dismisses the crowds and he actually decides to go up on a mountain by himself to pray, it says. 
When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, and it was being beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. I mean, think about it. It is a massive storm. They're rocking all around, trying to stay balanced, trying to maybe get water out of the boat. They don't really see him clearly, you know, rain, wind, and they think they're seeing a ghost. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. (laughs) And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So we see that immediately Jesus made them get into the boat. The context of this is that Jesus was feeding the 5,000. Although this counts only men, so theologians say that it was most likely many thousands more, you know, including women and children. And the people were about to force Jesus to be king. (laughs) And the disciples had just started arguing over who among them was going to be greatest in Jesus's kingdom. So with kind of like all this madness, if you can imagine this picture, all this madness kind of flying around around them, Jesus turns to them and he gives them a command for them to get into the boat without him. The word for command in the Greek means to strongly urge the kind of idea of a commanding officer giving a soldier an order. So we have to think that maybe they didn't want to leave. Why leave when they thought that Jesus was going to be crowned king? Hadn't this been why Jesus came? To save Israel from Roman rule and bring in the new kingdom that was prophesied about? So he urged them in and went away to pray alone. Now, they were in the boat for about 10 to 12 hours. It does not take that long to cross the Sea of Galilee, guys. Like, not even close. It says in the fourth watch of the night, they were still in the storm. Guys, can you just like imagine for a second being in a tiny little fishing boat in the pitch blackness in this swirling, raging storm, waves crashing all around you, trying to get water out of the boat, trying to stay afloat, trying to steer, trying to not drown. And for 12 or for, for 10 to 12 hours. So it was around 6 a.m. at this point, and, and these skilled and trained fishermen were doing everything they could just to stay afloat. They knew how to handle a boat and were really well experienced with storms. The Sea of Galilee is super cool and it's unlike many other places because it's surrounded by mountains on on this like on the one side and these hills and just the way that the weather works there storms can just like whip up out of nowhere at any time so this was something that they were always looking out for it wasn't like a new thing they were aware that like this could happen and they had to be looking out for it but then they see a figure (laughs) 
which they hadn't yet realized was Jesus, walking out on the water towards them. They were freaking out, clearly. I mean, I would be, thinking it was like some ghost or apparition coming towards them. Okay, but you want to know something crazy that the pastor shared on this? There was some common old folklore in that day that these men must have known quite well. That if a boat was out in a storm and they were doomed to go down, just before they would be wrecked, a spirit would come to them and give them one last message. Um, <laughs> in light of that, I would have been screaming it was a ghost too. <laughs> but Jesus, it's Jesus, thank the Lord. And he calls out to them saying, guys, don't be afraid. It's I, it's just me, your friend. And he tells them, that it's him, that it's okay, but they're still unsure of this. Waves splashing in your face and rocking you all over the place. Yeah, vision probably was not the best. Peter says, all right, if it's really you, then command me to walk on the water. You know, he's probably like, that's crazy, but you know what? If it's really you, you can do it. So Jesus does. And Peter just, go Peter, man. That guy had so much freaking faith. Like he just stepped right out like, all right, <laughs> just walks on the water like no hesitation but he got distracted by the storm and the waves all around him and the wind and he began to sink but immediately Jesus reached out and catches him and then he, he says to him oh you have little faith why did you doubt firstly sending them out into this boat alone was teaching them that even though you can't see him, he is always with you. Secondly, Jesus had been off to off alone to pray if Jesus needed to take time away to pray. How much more so do we as Christians need to? Prayer should be daily, not just in the hard places, not just on the days we, we need him more. It should be a daily, regular thing. Having a regular prayer life will protect us from the sudden storms in life and keep us well connected to Jesus. And that even though it may rock us, even smash us, we will not be shaken, removed from his care and protection, or finished. I definitely needed to hear that <laughs> when I heard this sermon. I pray often, but not like regularly enough, I feel like. I always know the difference when I'm spending more time with Jesus than the times when I'm not. I feel it. I see it in my life, his fruit in the faithful times, and my sinful flesh in the unfaithful times. Thirdly, Jesus will come to you in your storm. This was the last watch of the night like 6 a.m. right before daybreak. And the last watch of the night is when we see him come to the disciples in the boat. You might be facing some really deep pain right now. You may have been facing it for a really long time. And it seems like forever. Like the last watch of the night for you before you give up. I can relate. <laughs> Jesus will come to you in your storm. Just be faithful in prayer and seek him because he is coming. His word promises it. And I have seen and experienced it in my own pain. Fourth, 
Can you still obey the Lord if he's asking you to do something that seems impossible? God has a heart for all people, like John 3, 16 through 21 says. Fifth, Hebrews 12, 2 says we must be looking unto Jesus to finish this race and this life well. That Greek word for looking actually means like a steadfast gaze without moving but fixed. This was what Peter stopped doing when he began to sink, when he began to notice all the waves and the wind around him. Personally, lately, I've been so overwhelmed with such a mass of struggles. This season hit me like a ton of bricks and I was really unprepared for it. Not to be all depressing, but I was really despairing for a while. And I've been so burnt out and just so done (laughs) with all of the struggle and pain. Like, the world we live in is so unkind. But I've seen myself grow and change in this last year more than I think in any year of my life. I've seen bad habits just drop (laughs) and better understanding flood in. And for these lessons, I'm just so thankful. I'm thankful that in the midst of horror, God is bringing growth in my life. Something positive from all the negative I've been through. That is the process of life. That process of refining. Goldsmiths put gold in a fire to burn away all the impurities. The gold melts and the impurities rise to the top to be taken out until the master's face can be perfectly reflected in his creation. That is exactly what God is doing in these storms of protection. He is saving us from bad habits and sinful ways to make us better and more like him. How beautiful is that, guys? We serve such a good God. Continue the race with your eyes steadfastly fixed on him today. It will not be easy, as always, right? But he will be with you every step. He is listening. He is there. He loves you. He is good. It's not over yet. The best is yet to come.